Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. A design by the artist Sunitna Pantsavan transformed the tunnel connecting the Agnes Scott College campus with downtown Decatur from a neglected, trash-ridden site into an immersive mural experience of flowers covering the walls and ceiling. We'll hear more about Ponsavon's work later this hour in Speaking of Art, our series of local visual artists in their own words. First, cooler temperatures and fall weather provide ideal conditions for spending time outdoors. Long walks to see leaves and peak color, hiking, outdoor meals with s'mores by the fire, and for the adventurous, camping. Recent statistics show that the number of black campers is growing, and outdoor industries are taking note. One brand in particular is looking to cater more toward a diverse customer base. Staples in Tents is an outdoor and overlanding business founded by the wife and husband team of Sonia and Nakota Staples. The Atlanta-based company teaches people how to plan for the next outdoor adventure. Sonia and Nakota Staples join me now via Zoom. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for this. Well, please tell us how you became interested in camping and exploring the outdoors. In 2016, my wife and I, we were going through some serious issues in our marriage and we were spending a lot of time with our marriage counselor. And she gave us this advice to try saying yes to each other for a few weeks and to see where it took us. And along that journey, Sonia asked if I wanted to go camping and I was like, no, not really. <laughs> and it was this, you know, this immediate recognition that over the course of our relationship that I had been saying no to her so many different ways. And our counselor had sensed it and wanted us to explore saying yes. So I quickly turned and decided that that was the right thing to do was to say yes. And we uh, went to an event that was out in South Carolina. And over the course of that weekend, we both fell in love with what camping offered as a place of serenity, as a place of healing, and a place to connect with each other. Yeah, and shortly after that event, we had borrowed a tent. So shortly after that event, we purchased our own tent and started camping every four to six weeks. And when we went online and tried to search for um, how to camp, you know, different products, we quickly saw that there weren't many people that looked like us. So we were called 
fairly quickly to share our story and our experiences on YouTube and Instagram to kind of be that visual representation of black and brown people thriving outdoors to other people. And that has over the few years evolved from camping to off-roading to overlanding and now we travel full-time and I'm planning outdoor events to create safe space for other people to explore the outdoors and we travel full-time as a lifestyle. Oh wow what does the term overlanding mean? In its essence overlanding is based on traveling by some form of mode of transportation, but being dependent on that mode of transportation for food, clothing, and shelter, water systems. So it's vehicle-based dependent travel. And the emphasis we think is embedded in exploring other cultures and learning about how other people live and the environments in which they thrive. Yeah. Actually, I read a little bit because I was not familiar with the term and was surprised to see that overlanding dates back well over a century, but has become much more popular again recently. What do you think accounts for that popularity with overlanding? I think with the, specifically with the onset of COVID, more people are looking to get outdoors in nature, but even outside of COVID, I think overlanding has become more popular just because people are working so much and they're looking for ways to disconnect. They're looking for something different to do and a different way to travel as opposed to just flying, which can be rather expensive. And when you overland, you get to see more of a country or an area outside of large cities. So I think people are just looking for something different. Yeah. And in what ways is the overlanding community welcoming and more inclusive? Yeah, that's a great question. Is I think it's one that we have been spending a lot of time with in understanding what inclusivity looks like and whether or not the overlanding community is indeed welcoming. For us, we have definitely experienced openness to our presence at different events and certainly a lot of different invitations. But I think the overlanding community, the ones that travel outside of the country, as well as many that do travel within the country, seem to be very open and engaging in learning what it means to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. You know, typically overlanders are a little more traveled than the average person. So I think that opens people up for a wider array of experiences, a wider array of people. And that tends to make overlanders a little more welcoming and open. For us specifically, although we go to overlanding events and we, we do feel welcome, we still tend to feel a bit of a disconnect because we we are in the minority and the overlanding events that exist don't necessarily talk about issues that affect black and brown people, which is why Nakota and I created the gathering. So we could kind of create that safe space, create that safe space that doesn't necessarily exist and help people to feel safe coming into an area and learning, which is I think what's missing in the overlanding community is that it's it's not really a place for true beginners. You kind of have to come already slightly ready. Right. Well, it also implies a certain class stature, perhaps level of education that it sounds like overlanding may attract more sophisticated people regardless of color. Is that fair? I think overlanding attracts a lot of people. Whether I could say they were sophisticated, I'm not really sure. I think that we have been exposed to a lot of different cultures and and through those cultures themselves, I think our sophistication has grown and it's made us more accepting of people and where they are in their life, you know, and coming back into America after completing a two and a half month journey through Southern Africa, then immediately 
doing another two month journey through Mexico, really softened our ideals about what it means to be an American citizen and learning what our fellow American citizens challenges are in the greater fabric of our society. So for us, I think we've become more sophisticated, but I think it's a reflection of the fact that we're traveling and experiencing these different places, these different cultures, these different foods, and many other aspects that help to shape your overall experience as a human. Yeah, I think what's really interesting to me about the overlanding community is the background of the people involved being so diverse, coming from varying degrees of socioeconomic backgrounds, but all having one commonality that is vehicle dependent travel. And that could be traveling in an SUV, traveling in a motorcycle, traveling on a bicycle, you know, or in a van. You kind of get in where you fit in. One of the things about the overlanding community that I think tends to be a bit of a turnoff is people look at it from the outside and think you have to have the big souped up vehicle and all the gear when at its true form, overlanding is simply getting in your vehicle, traveling and exploring. Yeah, being exposing yourself, be, learning to be vulnerable in places where you're not a majority or for us, learning what it feels like to be amongst countries where we are no longer a minority. And what does those experiences do to evolve us and make us understand our own home? So, Nick Hoda, you, you have made me realize sophisticated was not the best word to choose. I think what, what I meant to say was that perhaps more worldly or more aware of other cultures. Yeah. It, Thank you for that clarification, Lois. And I do think that people who are into overlanding are more open to it. And as we have traveled, you know, we have started to be able to have that type of experience with the different people that we interact with. You know, some overlanders are people who are, have the overlanding setups still lack the cultural exploration that I think is one of the most enriching aspects of overlanding. To be exposed to people who are very different from yourself with the intent to learn and understand are the things that help us grow. And it certainly helped Sonia and I ask deeper questions of ourselves and the things that have shaped us into who we are right now. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking with Sonia and Dakota Staples, founders of the outdoor and overlanding company Staples Intents. I think about camping, outdoor exploration as something of a rural versus urban experience. Is that narrow-minded? I think everyone can enjoy camping, whether you live in an urban area or a rural environment. The perspective, is it open-minded? I guess, yes. <laughs> but I think most people have that same opinion. Even, even Dakota and I, we considered ourselves city people and camping was the furthest thing from our mind. We thought that that was something that people who lived in rural areas of the country, Nakota shaking his head, no, <laughs> but I thought, I'll say I, I thought that, you know, that that was an activity that more people who lived in rural areas did as opposed to city people, definitely not black people, you know, regardless of where we live, because there, there are these inherent fears associated with the outdoors. So um, camping was just really taboo. What I'd also thought about it is that you had to rough it when you camped. You know, you're sleeping on the hard ground, you're cold, you're uncomfortable, you're maybe eating out of a can. But 
when we started camping, one of the things that we were very intentional about is creating an experience outdoors that made us comfortable. We're, we're not comfortable sleeping on the ground. So get something that's really comfortable in terms of bedding. I'm not comfortable squatting behind a tree uh-huh. and doing my business. So create, bring, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> bring a system that allows me to be able to use the use the bathroom and do my business in a a comfortable environment so I think that's one of the things that makes camping how we do it more attractive to other people because we show that you can be comfortable you can enjoy some of the modern conveniences of home and you don't have to live this barbaric lifestyle you know for a few days Okay. This part is all very reassuring to the (laughs) likes of this girl, if you will, you're talking to, who grew up in this city and just could never understand why somehow you were insulting nature if you didn't want to sleep outdoors in it. You know, I, I think the outdoors is magnificent. But I'm with you, Sonia. You know, the thought of sleeping on ground with tree roots sticking up into my spine. I mean, I did it once as an act of love because I didn't want to say no to my husband. And after that, it's been a long time. (laughs) But you're saying it doesn't have to be primitive. We can... Be comfortable and enjoy it. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it's embedded in. For my learning, growing up rural, and then essentially adapting the city life, and then coming back in exploring nature from the perspective of having a city experience, what I see is it doesn't matter whether a person grew up in the country or in a city, they're outlook on camping is based on what they see or what they believe they have experienced and to some degree what those whatever their first experiences were Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of us grew up with boy scouts and girl scouts and that being their first camping experience or they go out with a love loved one a spouse or something along those lines and whatever that person has shared with them as that experience becomes what they think camping is, or they share that story um, to some friends and that becomes what their friend thinks. So for us with Staples Intense, what we wanted to do was to shape that narrative to show that you can come out in nature and thrive and not move along the lines of survival. There is certainly many aspects that you have to account for. Ensure that you can maintain a thriving level when you're camping. And when you don't, you do have to move towards survival. And for us, we find comfort and joy in the thriving aspects. So we try to make sure that we don't ever have to use or implement things that are along the lines of surviving to get out of the woods. Right. Like making a fire, I think, is the most fundamental thing that people think of when they think of camping is a campfire. But as a kid and most of my adult life, I thought of camping and making a fire, rubbing sticks together or using a flint. And there is nothing wrong with using a fire starter log, using a a cigarette lighter. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Making it easier. Do the things that make it convenient to you. The cave people won't be insulted. They will not no. be insulted. <laughs> I think they'd be like thrilled and honored. Like, whoa, look that at was progress. Cool. Look at progress. <laughs> look how they've got it. Oh, and by the way, mattresses, we would have welcomed those tens yeah. of thousands of years ago. So I had asked for your definition of overlanding, which was great. Now I'm going to ask something you mentioned casually. How do you define glamping? <laughs> oh. So glamping is a glamorous camping. And when Dakota and I, we first started our outdoor journey, we consider ourselves glampers. And to some people, glamping is staying in the big 
canvas bell tents with a full bed and that is absolutely glamping but for us we like to create our own setup and we consider glamping bringing whatever it is that we need to create a comfortable environment to be happy to be happy <laughs> Oh, this is much more inclusive. Yes, yeah. whether it be, you know, cooking lobster tail over your open fire or, or, you know, <laughs> setting up your hammocks and enjoying, you know, a nice relaxing evening with your book or Kindle, whatever yeah. you need. Your best bottle of wine, your best <laughs> bottle of champagne, your best tea, any of the things that make you happy on the inside that you feel like are along the lines of spoiling yourself. Those are the things that, for us, that make up what glamping is. I'm telling you this. <laughs> so much better than camping, right? <laughs> okay, that experience I told you about the last, the first and last time I slept outdoors was 42 years ago. And just what you're talking about right now, it dispels all those notions about trail mix without M&Ms, you know, <laughs> that, really kind of, that I thought I had to not only engage in, but pretend I liked, I, I could do this, what you're telling me about. Yeah, that's, and that's what the gathering is about, is to show people when they come out and they see all of the other people that have come that have figured out what glamping looks like for them, or what thriving, yeah. yeah, what what unwinding, what finding peace looks like. That's what we're leaning into with that event because we recognize that so many of us have this paradigm of what camping looks like, and it is oftentimes miserable, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or scary like Burt Reynolds in Deliverance. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so, so tell us, please, more about your gatherings. So the gathering, like we said earlier, it was created as safe space, specifically for Black and Brown people, but we really do encourage everyone that wants to show up as the their full selves and create community to, to come. But it's from the beginner outdoorsman to the very expert outdoorsman. So there's a wide range of accommodations from cabins and nice, RV. nice cabins. Let's let's say it correctly. Yeah, because you plush. A lot of times when we say cabins, <laughs> people think a room with four walls and like some kind of platform. That wood, that wood <laughs> thing in the middle. <laughs> right, but they're, they're really nice, well-accommodated cabins with beds, bathrooms with hot showers, kitchens with running water. Okay. Yes, now we're speaking your language, right? <laughs> exactly. And then there are also RVs with the same accommodations. People who have their own RVs or vans can bring their own RVs and vans to set up. People who have their own overlanding setups can bring their own overlanding setups. As well as if you want to try something different like renting from some platform like Outdoorsy, you can rent a van or RV and bring it to try that experience. But for the most part, people bring their own setups and there can be as simple as a tent, bed, and yeah. you know, their clothes, you know, just like the bare minimum or some crazy elaborate setup with inflatable All mattresses and chandeliers people come with with some really amazing setups yeah. bring all the things all the things that yes. make you happy and throughout the weekend you know everyone has the opportunity to walk around view people's setups get ideas on how they can create a setup that's right for them and build community and build community yeah. and then also throughout the weekend there are workshops and classes, seminars, to also educate people on things like solar power, how to yeah. outdoor responsibly, how to navigate when you're outdoors, Leave all these trays, things. How to meditate. We have tea ceremonies that goes into mindfulness, uh, how to think about what you can do with the space that you're creating outside mm -hmm. to help you to become more centered. and instead of leaning into all of the gear and all of those kind of things is really how to help someone become more present in those spaces that they will leave and then 
be more confident about going out and exploring for themselves. Exactly. How to, how to create an experience that you'll enjoy. This year in our upcoming event, we'll have bird watching, mountain biking. Yeah, the North Carolina Zoo. Yeah, yeah hiking. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really great. You know, we love to have fun. And one of the biggest things, you know, we talked about fire. You know, it's only been just a little over 100 years, not even that, when all of the planet, all of the events that took place were centered around fires at afternoon. You know, whether you were celebrating weddings, funerals, births, any of these opportunities. Or just family dinner. Family dinner, <laughs> when people gathered for whatever those reasons were, they were always centered around fires. So we're still very connected to that just through our DNA since the dawn of time in this relationship with fire specifically at night and how therapeutic that can be. So we always make sure that we have these really fun and engaging bonfires. Um, this year, in addition to doing a bonfire, we're bringing out a band one night called the Edgewood Heavy. They are a local band for Atlanta that is putting out some really good music. Mm -hmm. um, and we'd like to expose people to people, things, and events that they might not have been aware of with the hope that they will be inspired by that person or the group's life or direction that they're taking. That's fantastic. After indigenous people in our country were brutally, forcibly displaced, why do you think camping and hiking became dominated by white people until recently? Ooh, that's a, that's a great one. one <laughs> as marginalized as we have witnessed them become, their resilience still exists. And I have certainly been trying to lean more into my understanding and knowledge of what their history is and how I can be a better ally. And I'm, I'm certainly grateful for the time and spaces uh, and people that I've met that have helped me to become a better person and certainly more informed. Yeah. Now, going back to your question, you know, it wasn't until I want to say around the Civil Rights Act that non-white people had access to the national parks or state parks. For legally. 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 And those really? places... Yeah. Not the national parks? I, I know state parks, but I didn't realize... That applied to the national parks. Yeah, all yeah they that, were segregated as well. Yeah, all the, way, oh. so all the way up until civil rights. And even after civil rights, you know, the forest was still a place of trauma for... Many BIPOC. black and brown people. Yeah, black and indigenous. Understandably. Yes. It, yeah, it's a place of trauma. And most of us, those are horror stories that are associated with the woods because you were either running from someone to get into the woods, which is traumatic in itself, or if you were in the woods, something traumatic could be happening to you. So socially, it became a place of taboo for us. Mm -hmm. And indigenous people would have had the same experiences with nature. So when this new generation started, I think, uh, wanting to unplug, we started recognizing that there is healing in the woods. There is a serenity to be gained from being out in nature, but there are now barriers that society has put in place that make us refrain from being in those spaces. So with Black people specifically, we have been conditioned to only want to go to beaches in cities and even when we travel abroad we still seek out only those spaces and we are working to change that narrative to change what that looks like by showing that we are thriving in these spaces but that we're also engaging with the communities who occupy these spaces now and giving them the opportunity to move away from the trauma inducing that has caused my my people to want to refrain from being in those spaces. Mm -hmm. So we work with local communities to spend time with them, to engage with them so that we can build a more open, inclusive environment for outdoor activities. 
Yeah, and you know, going back to your question, I think historically we all just as people had a a serious connection to the earth and the land, but because of history, various reasons, that connection has been severed. You know, as people who who live in the city, one of the things that we found when we started spending time in nature is that when we were in the city, it was never quiet. There was always some sort of mechanical noise and we never truly got the ability to rest. But when we go outdoors, there is noise, there are birds chirping, you know, there are crickets, but all the noise is natural. And we are able to decompress. And I think a lot of times look internally and, and then feel the energy that exists around us and it becomes more attractive. You know, it doesn't always start with a person going camping and spending a full weekend outside because that's just a lot to ask for a lot of people. Sometimes it is going to your local park and going for a walk or going up into North Georgia mountains and, you know, taking a hike. You know, everyone should begin to explore nature first, but do it in a way that feels comfortable to them. Yeah. And to include that comfort, starting with having a fire in your own backyard mm -hmm. or setting up your camping experiment in your own backyard. You know, for us, when I think about it, that first true camping experience where it connected for me, we were in a friend's backyard mm -hmm. and we had a wonderful camping experience that was safe. And I think when we create these safe spaces, you also enable the person to be more receptive to whatever therapeutic needs they might have. And, you know, for I me, mean, PTSD, there's anxiety, there's so many parts of, you know, your, your past traumas that you get a chance to noodle on. Or you could just come outside and watch a football game or anything that you feel like helps you to become more centered, I think mm -hmm. is really where it's at. Nakota Staples and Sonia Staples, the founders of Staples Intense, an outdoor and overlanding company. We'll return with more of our conversation in just a moment. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights. It's great to have you along. Let's return to my conversation with Sonia and Nakota Staples, founders of the outdoor and overlanding company Staples Intents. The husband and wife team aims to educate and encourage black and brown communities to experience the life-changing effects of nature. Nakota, some people may want to explore or camp alone. The idea of the serene and sort of individual connection with nature. For new explorers and campers, what tips or techniques do you teach about safety for those who might want to explore camp alone? I'm going to punt to Sonia <laughs> only because I've recognized that her challenges as a, a woman causes her to, she has 
more evolved in what feels safe. And I think that um, we could, I could benefit from that. <laughs> Thank you, Nakota. Yeah, Nakota, Nakota has a very high adventure threshold anyway. So his comfort level is just different from most people. I actually took my first solo camping trip last year. So a few of the things that I considered is where I would feel safe. I didn't want to be like in a national forest somewhere that was completely remote and I didn't have any cell phone signal. I wanted the flexibility to be able to make a phone call and connect with someone if I needed to. State parks are always really good because they have people on site, rangers going around periodically. So if you have questions, if you need help, there's always someone there. Another good resource is Hip Camp. And a lot of people may, may not have heard of Hip Camp, but it's, it's like Airbnb for camping where people, they have private property and they list it for rent for you to come and set up. And it could be, you know, more of a group campsite. It could be really solo where you're all by yourself. So I would suggest something like that because there's less it's more private. It's more private. There are fewer variables that you have to think about. I'm not a huge proponent of camping with weapons just because that's just not my thing. But by all means, if it makes you feel more comfortable, bear spray is great. It's way more effective than a weapon like a gun or a knife. You can use it from a distance on animals and people. So Carrying bear spray if you're a solo camper and you're really concerned about your safety is also a good tip. But more important than anything is listen to your instinct, listen to your gut. And that's whether you're with someone or you're alone. Oftentimes, you know, our inner core tells us when something is bad, when we should turn around and listen to it because it doesn't lie. Hmm. Have you partnered with other organizations, perhaps other Atlanta organizations that encourage people of color to connect with nature? Yes. One organization that we partner with is Greening Youth Foundation. Their focus is on youth, getting them connected with outside, also creating the safe space. And then an organization that's really near and dear to our heart is the Atlanta HBCU Alumni Alliance. Their goal is to raise funds for historically Black colleges and universities, but one of their pillars is its health and wellness. So each year they do a 5K in Piedmont Park, and I want to say they're on their 15th year, but we partner with that organization specifically during COVID when the race was virtual to um, expose people to trails in the Atlanta area that people could do their race on and connect with nature. And then we're also continuing to partner with them to use our platform to provide scholarships to um, HBCU students because Nakota and I were both alumni of North Carolina A&T State University. <laughs> Proud HBCU alumni. <laughs> uh -uh. Well, I know I'd heard of Outdoor Afro. I wondered if that was uh, an organization you connected with. We have not officially connected with Outdoor Afro, but they are an amazing organization that's all over the country. Yeah. Pretty much any major city, if you are looking to connect with someone, get engaged with a group that's getting outdoors, Outdoor Afro is there, and they've actually had some really big partnerships recently with REI creating a line of outdoor clothing. And they've also partnered with Venus Williams and Cliff Bar. So they're a great organization. Yeah, really and doing a lot of strong things to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion outdoors. Doing mm -hmm. wonderful strides in there. Yeah, so I mean, that's a, a really good point. Nakota and I, we have the benefit of having each other and exploring with each other. So there's that built-in security. Mm -hmm. But for those that don't necessarily have a partner or a spouse that they can go out with and explore, I would strongly encourage people to find organizations in their local city that get groups together and go outdoors. There are many, not just staples and tents, like I said, within Atlanta, they're, they're, they're numerous. Mm. I admire how candid you both are 
with acknowledging that camping and exploring the outdoors helped save your marriage, mm -hmm. along with the camping advice, how are the challenges that people might face outdoors similar to what they might face in a relationship? You know, in, a, in your relationship, every day is different. And one of the things that Nakota and I, we do is we try to wake up each day and see it as a new day and a new opportunity to put our best, best foot forwards. And I think camping, being outdoors, life in general is the exact same thing. You never know what the day is going to bring you. So it's always important to start positively, you know, and just be ready to tackle whatever you face. Oftentimes camping, things go wrong. When we first started camping, we had a whole video series called Mistakes Were Made. <laughs> <laughs> because without fail you're gonna forget something you're gonna break something you're gonna lose something something's gonna something's happen not gonna work. something's not gonna work as planned and it's just really important that you be flexible and open-minded when people attend the gathering one of the last things that we send in our emails and last piece of advice we give is to bring an open mind uh, Sonia Nakota Staples this has been such a joyous conversation for me and I know for our listeners. Thank you so very much. Thank you. It has been a joy to have this conversation with you and truly exciting to see your perception of camping change. <laughs> Sonia and Nakota Staples, founders of Staples Intense, an outdoor and overlanding company. More information about their services is available on our website, wabe.org. Coming up, our series of local artists in their own words, speaking of art, today featuring the artist responsible for transforming the Agnes Scott pedestrian tunnel, Sunitna Ponsavon. First, we invite you to join us for the WABE series Sounds Like ATL tonight on WABE. We'll hear music of Cleveland P. Jones, Algebra Bless It, Masiki Scales, and the Common Ground Collective. That sounds like ATL. Tonight at 8 on 90.1. And you can see the show at 11 p.m. on WABE-TV. Amplifying Atlanta, this is listener-funded 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. It's time now for our series, Speaking of Art, where we hear from local visual artists in their own words. My name is Sunit Naponsavan. Most of the art that I create focuses on a human figure uh, or elements of nature. There are lots of portraits and lots of flowers, but I do really enjoy meandering with my work from concepts to styles to materials. So depending on the intent of the piece that may result in a drawing on paper, a painting on canvas, or a large scale mural on a building. Some pieces are representational and very rendered. Some pieces are flat and simplified and some pieces are purely abstract. I use graphite, ink, pastels, acrylic paint, spray paint, anything that I can get my hands on really. And I love incorporating vibrant palettes and expressive mark making. I started creating art as a child and I've just never stopped. I have vivid memories of drawing on my apartment walls with crayons, creating these elaborate scenes with ninjas and weapons and, and sprawling battles. As I got older, I would recreate comic book characters and then skateboard graphics. You know, all of my class notes have doodles in the margins. In high school, my art teacher, Ms. Hudson, 
She showed me what was possible with art, that it could be a vehicle for so much more. It could be therapy, activism, ceremony, whatever you needed it to be. So in addition to those things, it also became a way for me to make a living. I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid. I still do. And I almost became a psychologist. I just have this compulsion for discovery. I find endless enjoyment in searching for whys and hows and trying to understand the universe and how everything fits together. But I think best with my hands through drawing or writing. It's how I process experiences and questions. So instead of becoming a scientist, I defaulted to the most naturally comfortable way for me to explore, which is to make art. It's when I find the most joy, specifically in the flow state, when you can be completely present and in the moment. I call Atlanta home for a few reasons. I have family here, I was raised here, uh, and I love that Atlanta always feels like an underdog, like it always has something to prove. You know, the spirit here is palpable. It's an energy full of defiance and independence and virtue. You see it in our history and in our culture. You see it in our heroes. The city is so unique because of the dichotomies here. There's concrete surrounded by trees. There's progression despite unending repression. There's revolution served with Southern hospitality. There are all these incongruous elements that have somehow found harmony. It's such an interesting dynamic, and in many ways, Atlanta was a perfect place for me to develop because I exist happily in that Venn diagram of overlapping circles. You know, I am that mishmash of cultures and ideals and struggles. My work can be seen in a lot of places. In galleries, I often show with ABV Gallery and Cat Eye Creative. For murals, those are peppered all around the city. Um, I have a piece at Mercedes-Benz Stadium at the moment that I completed with Living Walls. There is a new piece off of Beaufort Highway. Uh, there's one for the Facebook Data Complex. I just wrapped up a new piece for Armor Yards. That was in collaboration with my friend Leela Brunette. Uh, I also just finished a pedestrian tunnel in the city of Decatur, right across the street from Agnes Scott College. It sits under these train tracks that run through the city of Decatur, so the tunnel connects two parts of really walkable areas. It's maybe 50 or so feet long and it's used every day. It's used by students from the nearby middle school, the high school, Agnes Scott, and the people who live in the area. The city had wanted to improve the experience of using the tunnel for years because it was a really intimidating place. It was a public safety concern. You know, it wasn't well lit, it wasn't kept up. It was just dark and foreboding. So they wanted to clean it, add new lights, and install a mural. They wanted to install a mural because part of that foreboding feeling was the graffiti. When there was a request for proposals, um, I honestly questioned whether I wanted to be a part of taking away that graffiti safe haven. I loved the graffiti. It made it the city's own mini Krog Street tunnel. But I live in Decatur. I'm in this community. I myself use that tunnel. So I felt that I had to submit something. Uh, and luckily my proposal was chosen. On that first day of installation, right after the walls were buffed, I overheard students on separate occasions, you know, they were lamenting that the tunnel was being sanitized and quote unquote gentrified. I immediately questioned what I was doing because those comments, they reinforced my misgivings. It felt like I was taking away some of the flavor from the city. There was one point during the week when school was letting out, I stepped away from the tunnel to allow kids to go through and a bunch of skate punks ran by curse what was happening. I cringed so hard because it dawned on me in that moment that I was an agent of the establishment and the man. And that my younger self, me when I was the same type of skate punk who rebelled against any form of state or authority, I would have hated the new mural too. That was a fun dose of irony. But as I continued working, I'd have the youngest middle schoolers and the Scotties, they would excitedly say how they felt safer and happier in the tunnel now. That they were no longer creeped out and they didn't fear being assaulted. I'd get thank yous and high fives and I'd see the same people every day. And I started to see directly the impact of what I was doing and how I was helping to enrich my community. I have a few favorite spots to see new art in Atlanta. One is ABV Gallery. They bring in art superstars, both national and international, and show them alongside local artists. 
Another favorite is Cat Eye Creative, who has really started to build a nice mixture of artists as well. I love the stretch of murals in Cabbage Town that get painted each year for the Ford Warrior event. Every new mural installed by the Living Walls organization is an instant must-see for me. I also love seeing work at Peter's Street Station, Free Market Gallery, Mint Gallery, and The Bakery. Sunit Napantsavam and our series, Speaking of Art. More information about Pantsavam's work is on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Monday at 11 a.m., Arthur Lewis, the creative director for Atlanta's new office of United Talent Agency, tells us about the fine arts and artist space they'll open next year. Plus, the Alliance Francaise of Atlanta and the Goethe German Cultural Center have joined forces to create the new Franco-German Cultural Center of Atlanta, and we'll hear about their planned programming. If you missed part of today's show, like my earlier conversation with the founders of the outdoor and overlanding company Staples Intense, you could catch up through our podcast or on our website wabe.org slash citylights. There, you'll find a complete archive of our stories so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. Our theme music is the first time written and performed by Joe Granston with his jazz band, courtesy of Hot Shoe Records. City Light senior producer is Kim Drobes. Our producers are Summer Evans and Janine Etter, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. We'd love for you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to W-A-B-E Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.